your life. All you have is Christ. All right, well, this morning we continue this brief mini series on family worship. We began last week, more topical in nature. Usually I uh, preach through the book of Luke or preach through a passage of scripture. Uh, but right now, we're just, just taking some time to look at the topic of family worship and what that means for our families. And honestly, this has been challenging for, for me. This is not something that comes natural, uh, but it's, it's very important. And hopefully, we'll, we'll all see the, the need and, and the necessity to worship the Lord as families. And I want you to turn, if you would, to Psalm 78. As we begin, Psalm 78, we'll read some verses from there in just a little while. Charles Spurgeon wrote, quote, Brethren, I wish it were more common, I wish it were universal, with all to have family prayer. We sometimes hear of children of Christian parents who do not grow up in the fear of the Lord. And we are asked how it is that they turn out so badly. He says, in many, very many cases, I fear there is such a neglect of family worship that it's not probable that the children are at all impressed by any piety supposed to be possessed by their parents. So, so in, in, this is 150 years ago when Charles Haddon Spurgeon said that. You know, it was a, it, you know, family worship was declining even back then. Of course, that was back in England in the mid-1800s. But he says the problem is family prayer and family worship is not observed. This, this intentional time within homes throughout the week to spend time with God. So important. So it's, it's vital. And hopefully you'll, you'll understand in this message this morning that there's a pattern. This is not a new concept. This is something that's been going on since, well, since the very first family, I, I believe, since Adam and Eve onward. Uh, but unfortunately, it is, it's no longer the case in most homes, most, most Christian homes especially, Last week, though, we began this brief study on family worship. We looked at the priority of it last week. And as you recall, we were in, in Ephesians 5 and 6. And there's so much good, profitable instruction from Paul there in Ephesians when it comes to families and marriages and parents and their children. And really, family worship, having these, having these intentional times being together as a family Focusing on the, on the Lord and in His Word and in prayer. It's so, so critical. But we saw that really all, all Christian families need to be involved in this. It, this is not really an optional thing. Regardless of whether or not there are children at home, even if it's a husband and a wife, you're still a Christian family. And you should spend time together in, you know, in, the, in, the, in the Word of God. Uh, Worship, worship is glorifying and praising God and can be enjoyed as a family. 
But and we also looked at how you know the the exit or the decline of family worship has been going on for for centuries. And today most most Christians probably don't know about family worship, having these these times throughout the week. Maybe the extent of your family worship is having a prayer before a meal. And hopefully it's 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 more than that. We looked at you know, there in Ephesians, how what what God expects of husbands to to love their wives as Christ loved the church, and that's you know He Christ died for us the the church, and every husband should love his wife to such a degree that he's willing to die for her. And there in Ephesians five, he he does talk about the first and the first practical thing he can do a husband can do for his wife is to to make his first priority her, her spiritual growth, to her, her condition before the Lord, and helping to help her to, to, to mature spiritually. That, that's the husband's first priority. And, and maybe you weren't aware of that, but it, but it certainly is. Uh, that someday when, when your wife goes to meet the Lord, she'll be mature spiritually because you've been ministering to her and helping her to grow throughout throughout the week, throughout your, your time together. Um, we saw God, God expects of fathers to bring up his children in the uh, nurture and admonition of the Lord. There in Ephesians 6, 4. And with children in the home, it's so important to bring up your children, not just so they know right from wrong, or not just so they know, you know how to live and do certain things, but that they would know what it means to live for God. And that they would know what he expects, and, and that they would grow in that knowledge. And that takes not just teachable moments throughout the week, but intentional times where, you, where you're in the Word and you instruct. And then what God expects of parents, the mother is not left out. They're, they're, uh, Ephesians 6, 1, children obey your parents, plural. In, in, the, in the Lord, for this is right. Obey your father and mother. So, so the mother is involved as well. Husband and wife are to be agreed on, on the way they parent, the way they bring up the children. Uh, but this morning we're going to look at the, the pattern of family worship. And I, we're going to be looking th- at the Old Testament, several examples that we can see that, you know, I, I believe family worship was present. Now, it may not have been daily, but it was regular, and it was intentional, and it was profitable, and it should be in our families as well. So, uh, next week, well, n- next week we have, we have a missionary here. We have Chris and Sonia Peck are going to be with us. We have a special missionary Sunday, uh, but then we'll continue on after, after that the following Sunday. But we're going to also look at how practically it is to be done, how you can do it. And we do have several copies of this book on family worship in the back, on that table in the back. I encourage you to, to take one and, and to read it. Not a, not a long book whatsoever, uh, less than 70 pages. Uh, it shouldn't take you long at all, but very, very profitable to, to read. But here you're in Psalm 78. Let's go ahead and read. The first eight verses, follow along as I read here. 
with this concept of family worship in mind. Psalm 78, 1. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the, to the coming generation the glorious deeds of, of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established the testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise to tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his blessing here. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the examples that we can see when it comes to family worship and having this intentional time of instruction and, and glorifying God within the home through the week that we see from Scripture. We thank you for those examples. We pray today that you would guide us in understanding by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the Word of God. What a tremendous blessing. So many Christian families throughout history did not have a copy of the Word of God. And here we have several. And we, we take it for, for granted. Forgive us for that, Lord. I just pray that you would use this message to challenge our hearts. May we be open to the, the message of your Word. May we be willing to apply the things we hear. And to have these times of family worship that would bring honor and glory to you. Lord, I pray you'd fill me with your spirit. Help me to communicate the things you'd have me to say. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now, as you, hopefully you have a note sheet and you're keeping notes there. And we, we honestly aren't going to get all the way through this message. We'll have to continue it next time. But that'll be fine. Uh, but this morning, I, I do want us to look at Old Testament examples from the Word of God of many families, I believe, that had times of instruction in the, in the uh, things of the Lord, this family worship, if you want to call it that, family devotions, family Bible study, family uh, holy convocations is another word for it. I doubt anybody calls it that. Uh, but the first, the first point this morning are, are the examples of family worship. And this morning from biblical history. Turn, if you would, back to Genesis chapter 3. Right to the very be beginning with the first family, Adam and Eve. Did you know that Bible characters you have heard of practice family worship? It's not a new concept. Now, the setting was different, far different than today. I mean, we are so blessed to have the Word of God. We are so blessed to have churches and the Holy Spirit indwelling us, and so many things. 
back in this day here with Adam and Eve living in the Garden of Eden, uh, even before the fall, they, th- things were far different. I mean, they were perfect. They, they were in sinless perfection. They, they worshiped God by having fellowship with him perfectly. That's how we were designed to be, to have fellowship with God freely. That's worship. And they worshiped as a family, husband and wife, until sin came into the picture. I mean, look at, at uh, verse 8 of chapter 3. This is after they committed the sin, ate the forbidden fruit. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Up until that point where they they fell into sin, they, they did enjoy that perfect fellowship and worship of God. But sin hinders fellowship, and it always does, even, even today when we commit sin. It hinders that communion or that fellowship that we enjoy with God. And it needs to be confessed and forsaken. But here, they, they were ashamed. They knew they had done wrong, and they tried to hide themselves. This was a new thing for Adam and Eve. They didn't have to hide themselves before. They just had perfect fellowship with God, walking in the garden. But now it, was, it had turned into fear and dread, and, and it was completely different. But then look on down in the chapter there, verse 15. Here you have the first promise of the gospel in the Word of God. The first mention of Jesus Christ, right there in the Garden of Eden, from here in the, in the curse to the serpent, in verse 15. I will put enmity, God says to Satan, between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And here we have the first prophecy given, the first mention of a coming savior and offspring of the woman would be, would be the one to destroy Satan, would, would strike the fatal blow, would strike his head. He shall bruise your head. So, of course, the, the main offspring mentioned here, of course, that's Jesus Christ, our Savior, who would come probably for at least 4,000 years later in history. She didn't know how long it would be. Uh, but the point is here, talking about family worship, only through Christ can we be, for, be forgiven of our sin and have that fellowship with God again. And we can worship Him only through Christ. Now go over to chapter 4. Here we have Cain and Abel, their uh, first two sons, first Cain and then Abel. And at this point, family worship, it's centered around sacrifice, blood sacrifice to, to cover sin. And I'm sure there was some instruction there from Adam to his family as to what God expected and you think back to even after the sin was committed there by eating the forbidden fruit, God slew animals to provide clothing for, for them. And Adam would have used that as a teachable opportunity. But how did Cain and Abel know what God expected for sacrifice? It was from Adam. Now we don't read of, of Adam himself offering sacrifice, but we see Cain and Abel, his boys, sacrificing. And Abel 
Well, I, I think they both knew what God expected. But Cain didn't, Cain didn't care. He just wanted to do his own thing. He wanted to offer God produce and, and fruits and vegetables uh, from, from the ground. Abel, he, you know, he cared about pleasing God. And he offers, he offers the right kind of sacrifice. But here we see, you know, just the implications there of family worship. How, how Adam would have instructed there. Go over, if you would, to Genesis 8. This is after the flood. After Noah's flood. And Noah, with his family, had times of worship. Of course, even in that day, centered around sacrifice and, and altars and worshiping the Lord in that way. But Genesis 8.20 says that Noah built an altar to the Lord. Now the flood is, is done there on dry land again. And the first thing he does is worships. He built an altar to, to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And Noah blessed, and God blessed Noah, excuse me, and his sons, and said to them. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And he goes on in this instruction. But you notice who is present at this time of worship after the flood. It's not just Noah. He's not doing this in isolation. His sons are there. And I, I think the rest of his family as well. But they, right there in verse 1, Noah and his sons. And God uses this as a time to instruct. And it's very important. We don't know how often they would meet together to worship, but it, it was, you know, they, they did do it. And there was instruction, and this time, you know, at this point, it was God speaking. Boy, it sure would be nice if we could meet together as families and actually listen to God speak to us. But, you know, he does through, through, through his word, and that's so important. He speaks to us through, through his word. Turn, if you would, over to uh, Genesis 18. And look at several of these examples. And there are others. These are just some highlights that I came across. But here we have Abraham. And we have these, the three men that came to visit him. On, you know, they were on their way to, to warn Lot of the destruction of, of Sodom. Of course, we looked at that on, in Sunday school. But the, the, the two angels, the two men that would go visit Sodom. But the three, uh, the third one was the pre-incarnate Christ. Christ was there talking to Abraham. But it, back in verse 19 of Genesis 18, Jesus is actually talking to the other angels. And we have the words of it here. And just uh, look at verse 19. Christ says, and these are actually, you know, some of your Bibles have red letters. I think these, ought to have, these words should also be in red letters. These are the words of the Lord. For I have chosen him, this talking about Abraham, that he may command his children and his household after him. 
to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring Abraham what he has promised him. He's talking about how Abraham has been chosen to, to be the father of this new nation, the Israelites. And here he is chosen. One of the main reasons is because he is somebody who will command his children. He will have these times of instruction in his household, these times of family worship. And it certainly is the, is the case. Some sort of family worship is implied. Now go over to Genesis 22. And the narrative of Abraham progresses a little further. And some time has passed, of course, and now the son of promise has been born, Isaac. And we see in Genesis 22, look at verse 1, And after these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And I, I believe Abraham was somebody who observed this family worship, had these times with his family, with his, with his son, of course. And here, the instruction from God, go and worship, but it's, something's off here. <laughs> he's, he's told to, to sacrifice his son, Isaac. And this is, of course, a test of his faith. Would he obey the Lord and sacrifice even that which is most most precious to him. But look down at, at verse, uh, verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both of them went, so they went both of them to, 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 together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Here Isaac knew enough, even perhaps even as a teenager at this point, I'm not sure his age, but he knew, hey, we, we have these times of family worship where we sacrifice, where we... Offer to offer to the Lord, but something is you know, something's missing in this time of worship. There's no lamb, and here Abraham, of course, uses this as a teaching opportunity, a time of instruction. God will provide. So, had there not been these times of regular family worship, Isaac wouldn't have known anything was off. But but he he notices right away. Um, turn if you would over to Le- Leviticus. 23, Leviticus 23, and this is the feast chapter in the Bible, the feast chapter of the Old Testament law, and the Israelites were to observe these, these feasts throughout the year, and very important here, look at verses 1 and 2. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. 
You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to, to the Lord in all your dwelling places. And then verse 4. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. So, at this point, you know, God is using Moses to instruct the people of Israel, the Israelites, how to worship and have these holy convocations. And a holy convocation, but that phrase is used 11 times in this chapter. It's very regular. It's very, very common. And it means a sacred assembly, a calling together, or reading. This is a time of worship and instruction. It's intentional. Uh, and, you know, you can call it what you want, but here they're referred to as holy convocations. But this is, these were not holy convocations for all the Israelites to come together as a large group. These are to be observed as family groups. These are to be observed within the home. It was very seldom they'd meet together as a large group. But this is within the home. How often? Well, there in verse 3, you have the Sabbath. And they observed the Sabbath day, the seventh day is a day of rest. That's weekly. And they would rest from their work. And it wasn't just resting from their work. It was, it was focusing on the Lord and reading his word and, and worshiping throughout the day. Having a special God-honoring time of worship. Uh, weekly, and then in verse 4, the holy convocations for the feasts. And there were several feasts as you read throughout the rest of the chapter. Passover, you know, first fruits, Shavuot, all these different feasts, Rosh Hashanah, that, you know, they would, as the time came throughout the year, they would celebrate. They would meet together as families and have a special holy convocation, a special time of Family worship, even there. In fact, it's at one of those times of holy convocation that you know we're going to celebrate here in a little bit with you know with the communion service at the Passover convocation. At this time of family worship, they actually had a seder meal, and it was a special Passover meal with the unleavened bread and the cups of wine and the bitter herbs and all these things that went with it. And the father, who has the spiritual leadership within the home for his wife and his children, was to lead in the meal and explain as the meal progressed. There were readings, there were verses to read, but there was explanations. You know, he'd pick up the bread and say, this is what it means. And the bitter herbs and the wine and explain the significance spiritually. Talking about the Exodus. And... And then after he explained it, they'd eat that part of the meal or drink that, the cup. And it was during that Seder meal that Jesus had his last supper with his disciples. Now, they weren't a family like a husband and wife with children, but they were, it was, this was Jesus, a rabbi, a teacher with his disciples. They were, in a sense, a family unit, a spiritual family. And he was the leader, and he led them in that holy convocation. So this is, this is a, regular, a regular occurrence. And then t- turn, if you would, to Job chapter 1. Job, of course, just before the book of Psalms. 
a very godly man. He's very wealthy, very prosperous, but suffered so much. Yet, he, he remained faithful to God. Job 1. In verses 4 and 5, here we, we read about... Now, Job, Bible scholars think, lived about the time of Abraham. Back in Genesis, he was, he was a contemporary with Abraham. He might have known Abraham and, and those people who lived in that day. But Job had seven sons and three daughters. And the, the sons, would, they were hospitable and would host a feast, each one in his house. Look at verse 4 of Job 1. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. But this is significant here, verse 5. But when the days of the feast had run their course, Job, the father, would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Um, Here, they had all the feasting and the times when the, when the children would come together and feast, and it was a regular occurrence. But the Bible says there, the next day, the father, Job, would call all of them, wherever they were, to come to him. Why? Well, the purpose was intentional family worship, centered around sacrifice. And it says there in verse 5, he would send, they would come, and consecrate them. He, he would, we don't know exactly what happened, but this was a very special time where they would focus on spiritual things and he would perhaps pray with them, instruct them in biblical things. And this is very important. I mean, yeah, they've been feasting, they've been having fun, and you know, as siblings can do and should do. But they come together and now they're to focus on things of the Lord, on, on serious things like sin, and sacrifice and forgiveness. And they come and he, he, con, he consecrates them. And then he'd rise early in the morning and offer these burnt offerings. And we don't know if the children came out there to, to, to observe that. They, perhaps they did. But when he would send and consecrate them, they would be part of this time of worship. And it was important. This was Intentional. I like what Dr. MacArthur writes about this. He says, at the end of every week, Job would offer up as many burnt offerings as he had sons, officiating weekly, regularly, as family priest in a time before the Aaronic priesthood was established. Uh, These offerings were to cover any sin that the children may have committed that week, indicating the depth of his devotion. Uh, So we see it here, very intentional. It was important to Job. He was not just a, a godly man, he was a godly father. And he, he consecrated his children on a regular basis. How often did he do it? Well, there at the end of verse 5, the ESV says he did it continually. Regularly is, is the idea. And of course it was after these feasts, and perhaps weekly. And then if you turn to Psalm 78, this is where we began this morning. Here are these words of Asaph. 
who is one of the worship leaders of Israel back in the days of David. And he wrote some of the Psalms here in this section. But here he's, he's praising the Lord, but he's also practically giving this instruction. And he's, he's reminding the Israelites, because these were songs that were sung in worship, he's reminding them through teaching through song that you're to be teaching your, the next generation uh, what God has done. Verse 4 of Psalm 78, we will not hide them. From their children. Tell it to the coming generation. The glorious deeds of the Lord. And his might. And the wonders that he has done. Is that important in your family? To talk about the Lord. And to, and to talk about spiritual things. And to, to talk about how powerful and awesome. And wonderful the Lord is. What he has done, what he has not, not just what he did in Scripture, but what he's done in your life, what he's done for your family, what he's done for your church. Uh, now there in verse 6, that the next generation might know them. That's your children. That they would know those spiritual principles about the Lord. The children yet unborn. And arise and tell them to their children. This is, this is multi-generational. It's not just your children, but the idea is to set a practice in your family, to set up a, a common, consistent pattern where you teach your children. When they have a family, they will teach their children, children yet unborn, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. So important. This was important for Israel. And we'll see next time how it's, you know, even in the New Testament. And throughout church history, from New Testament times onward, even to the present day. So many families have made it a priority to worship God. And it's, it doesn't have to be a long time. I mean, it can be daily. It can be weekly. But it's an intentional time when you just take out the Word of God and together as a family perhaps read a portion of Scripture, you know, maybe a chapter or a passage or a verse, talk about it, discuss the implications, the lessons you can learn, and then pray. It doesn't have to take very long, but it, consistently doing that helps everybody to grow spiritually. It helps us to not forget what God has done who God is. So important. Uh, so the, uh, there are several other passages we'll look at. They're in Deuteronomy 6, Joshua 24. We'll look at that. Uh, so many passages as well. But the main idea today is Christians should worship God daily. And Christian families have the amazing privilege of worshiping God together within the home. And I, I hope that you do. I hope that each of you, even if you're just a couple... You're still a Christian family. You can still grow together spiritually. We focus on the Lord. So some take-home truths here. Once you understand family worship is normal, and it, it, it's not a new concept, it's not a, a new fad. This is something that's been going on since the beginning of time. It's important to God. It's, 
It's critical. And God, if God wants husbands to help their wives grow spiritually and fathers to help their children grow, this is very important. It's important to God. God holds husbands and fathers accountable for their spiritual leadership within the home. And men, this is a sobering thought. But it's true. Next one day we'll have to give account. We have this, this privilege right now with others living within the home, with us. What, what are you doing to glorify God with, with those entrusted to your care? And then, you know, just be, be willing to try something new. Maybe you say, hey, I've just never, this is not something I've ever done. I don't know the Bible as well as I should. Well, maybe this would be a good thing. You can all grow together. You know, it's very important. Maybe even just take a daily bread, you know, a devotion book from the back and read through that every day. And spend time together and pray as a family. So important. But hopefully this makes sense and you see that this is a, a pattern that should be true for our families. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you today for the reminder from your word about family worship. These intentional times focusing on you throughout the week within the home for your glory for our spiritual good. I pray for the men here that, that they would take their responsibility seriously, that they, you know, knowing that they have a wife, knowing that perhaps they have children within the home who need to grow spiritually. It's not just dependent on the church. It's spiritual growth throughout the week. I pray, or I just pray that if if families need to implement this, that they would. Lord, I pray that people would be willing to try something new and please you. Lord, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.